Hey everyone, I'm Jamin. You're listening to the Happy Market Research Podcast. Our guest today is Paul Gaudet, founder and CEO of Dig Insights. Dig Insights was founded in 2010 and currently employs over 160 people. The business has four primary offerings delivering market insights, data science, evaluations, and their proprietary ideation solution is called Upside. That's with two eyes. Paul also serves as a council member of the Ted Rogers School of Management at Ryerson University. Paul, welcome to the Happy Market Research Podcast. Well, thanks very much for having me. Support for the Happy Market Research Podcast and the following message comes from Michigan State's Marketing Research Program and WX. The Michigan State University's Master of Science in Marketing Research Program delivers the number one ranked insights and analytics degree in three formats, full-time on campus, full-time online, and part-time online. New for 2022, if you can't commit to their full degree program, simply begin with one of their three core certifications, Insights Design or Insights Analysis. In addition to the certification, all the courses you complete will build towards your graduation. If you're looking to achieve your full potential, check out MSNMU's program at broad.msu.edu slash marketing. Again, broad.msu.edu slash marketing. WX is a research operations platform for private panel management, qualitative automation, including video audition questions, and surveys. For a limited time, user seats are free. If you'd like to learn more or create your own account, visit hubux.com. Let's start with some context. Tell us a little bit about your parents and how they inform what you do today. Oh, going right into the parent question, eh? Mm -hmm. oh, wow, okay. Some deep wounds you're uncovering already. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, we, we've had people answer that question. It's actually kind of interesting. You bring up the deep wounds. Very, you know, obviously most of the time it's, it's relatively surface level. I'm excited to hear how you're going to answer it. There's no wrong answer. And then sometimes it gets super, super deep. One super of our deep. guests, yeah. not to go too dark, but answered it very abruptly with, they've had no impact on my life and then moved into, or Ooh. a negative impact and then moved into telling the story of how his mom, when he was seven years old, sent him on an airplane ride, one-way ticket uh, to a city he had no context for, no family, no anything. And then he wound up growing up in the system. So it's like, it's really an interesting, <laughs> it's been an interesting sort of opportunity for me to get to know market researchers like yourself. Wow. I'll take, yeah, his, I'll take his response. I'll use his response. All right. <laughs> I'm it's funny enough that you say at seven, he got sent on a, a one-way uh, ticket. My, uh, my parents got divorced when I was seven. I guess probably really informed my upbringing, I think, more than anything. I think just to dive right in, I think my mom, you know, stay-at-home mom, she needed to go back to school to support me and my brother and uh, got a degree in HR. And then uh, worked her way up leading a Canadian HR division for a large uh, construction company. She was extremely successful in her role, but... I think that itself, you know, she really just took on that that responsibility and I learned a lot about sacrifice and, you know, determination. And I think especially from the HR perspective, the empathy, which I really do believe that's how, you know, it's informed how I am as a leader in our company uh, with that that lens of empathy. You know, still obviously have a great relationship with my dad. My, my dad was not the primary caregiver, and but he had been an entrepreneur kind of all the way through. So... He's always learning, exploring, doing everything along the way. 
which also kind of just really impacts in terms of, you know, having that drive and that desire to be successful and, and also, you know, failing and learning and trying again. I think that aspect of it really kind of instilled in me that motivation and also just having to learn about everything. Like, you know, even when I started this business, the, my three partners, like having to learn everything like, you know, legal and accounting and HR and marketing and all those things. I think uh, I saw, you know, how my dad kind of started his businesses and, and had to kind of take on those responsibilities. And yeah, that's, you know, those are the, those are the, the parents. Now, you know, my dad is now a deep trance psychic channel living in Mexico um, after a massive near death experience when I was around eight. Um, oh. So that's where he's based. And my, uh, my mom's uh, now retired and close to my house and helps to care for my two kids. Wow. How did you wind up in market research? Funny story. I actually went to school more like business side. I went to uh, I went to a, a, a BBA program here in uh, Toronto at the Schulich School of Business, and then after that, uh, it was a time when it wasn't as lucky as it is now to potentially get a job. At that time, it was very difficult to get a job when I graduated. So I decided to go back and get a master's in strategic management in France. And one of the reasons why I chose France was uh, I wanted to travel and. And my mom thought, if you're going to travel, you might as well get a degree. And I thought that's a great idea. And so where do I want to go? South of France sounded amazing. I just so happened to have a great program there. So ended up in South of France in strategic management. And uh, while I was there, got connected with a company really focused on innovation. And uh, that led me into the area of market research. So I wasn't, you know, sought out market research as a, as a career to begin with. It was much more focused on strategic management, innovation, those aspects, and that, that naturally kind of just evolved into a, a role in market research. Congratulations on 12 years of running a successful business. Why did you start Dig Insights? Oh my God, yeah, throwback. Uh, you know, I think at that time, it was, you know, 2010, we really just saw a need for insights to be much more of a business partner, you know, really using data and analytics to understand how the changes in consumer behaviors could impact our clients' business. And that really started with us leveraging things like, you know, conjoint and discrete choice and other things like experimental designs and trade-off methods that really could help companies simulate the impact of, you know, whether it's an innovation or a change to a, a product or service on those consumer behaviors. And so we had kind of hitched our wagon onto kind of those higher end custom analytics uh, aspects and spoke more of a business language, which again, you know, my business education, I think. And when I come, came into market research, I realized that it wasn't just all about communicating top to box scores. It was really talking about, you know, what's going to be, you know, the incrementality, how do we optimize revenue? You know, what's going to be cannibalistic? You know, those are the types of things that we're focused on. I think it gave us a different perspective on how to speak a different language to our business clients, leveraging insights. And yeah, we, we saw there was a def, definitely need for that. And, um, and that's kind of what we've been holding on to uh, ever since. So one of the things I found very interesting is your adaptation or creation and adaptation of technology enablement to the actual market research that you deliver. When did that start? So yeah, we, uh, so we, we developed, um, Basically, it was around 20, I want to say 2013, 2014, really, you know, it was the time when we actively decided that we needed to go much more into technology. So, you know, right when we started- That was early zappy days, right? 
Yeah, well, all, yeah, yeah. Right mm-hmm. around then, actually, right when we started, 2010 was like, you know, there was Qualtrics was just coming out. Right. Critical was there. And we knew we couldn't compete on that, like, obviously, technology space, but we didn't also want to compete in that low-end, commoditized, concept-testing, consulting space. So we went higher end. But in doing that, um, you know, we had started creating our own and using our own technology. So we were creating our own experimental designs, which is really just, you know, a simulated shopping exercise online. And we were, you know, creating our own methodologies and approaches that, you know, that we could stitch into larger surveys. Um, So our own interfaces. And so, you know, the tools and techniques and the analytics that we were developing were were really technology that we were developing. And and we said, you know, maybe there's a, a way to develop a methodology that really spoke to consumers, how consumers are using technology today, you know, with the devices that are in their hands. And can we come up with an approach or a method that really is a way of testing new innovations easily that consumers can actually, you know, get through pretty quickly. And we came up with this uh, approach called the upside, which was really at the, at the core of it was just a really easy way to screen early stage ideas, leveraging, you know, swiping with some trade-off. Fast forward, you know, to 2017, 2018, we basically, you know, developed an app related to it, spent a bunch of money doing that, that failed. And we had to start from square one uh, to develop more of a web-based program. And uh, and today it's, uh, it is actually now a fairly full innovation solution that is still f- focused on innovation testing, but comes with a whole battery of analytics built into an online dashboard that you can you know, launch a survey right from that platform, get the results back in that platform in a short amount of time and uh, has integrations right through Lucid and built in analytics uh, that clients can use to understand the, the successor or potential of an innovation. So it's actually become a pretty key component of our, of our being and how we not only enable you know, our clients to, uh, to use the same tools we do, but we also build products on top of that and deliver that to our clients. Give us a specific use case. Yeah. So, for example, uh, you know, Coca-Cola has a whole bunch of new innovations that they're planning on launching in the next year, and they need to prioritize some of these innovations. So one could be like, I just, you know, if you're launching a new, let's just say, you know, the big thing is let's get rid of diet soda. So now it's, uh, you know, zero, zero sugar sodas. You know, if there's a new brand or a new product they want to launch, let's, you know, put it in context of all the other ones that are available in market and see how well it does. So this is just a very early stage, quick swiping and preference mechanism. I'll go through a a whole bunch of different products on my screen. I'll swipe left on right and right on the ones I like or don't like. Choose, uh, you know, which one I do prefer are the ones I do like. And that's a very simple way of screening through some early stage ideas, but in a competitive context. So like based on what's available in market and then. Out of that, we've actually been able to model a ton of data. So we actually have relational data. We have quadrant maps that show you the linkage between the trade-offs and the interest. We've got you know the scores that are correlated to market share. And so there's a ton of stuff on the back end that shows you know if you have a specific you know new brand that you're launching, a new product that you're launching, how does it rate and how does it compare versus other products that are in market today? And really gives you that that understanding of where is it going to compete? How incremental is it? We run turf analysis on this data. We can run share of choice data on this uh, this data. So we can understand that level of incrementality and cannibalization. So a lot of great stuff that comes out of a very, very easy way to actually assess innovations. Let's talk a little bit about the failure. So you launched an app and it didn't do very well. Why not? What happened? Wow. You know, it it was just so, I mean... 
you know, Jamin, I listen, I work with some extremely smart people. And I think that's that's the one benefit of having a company like ours is that they're really, really, really smart. But we're also very, very, very particular about how market research needs to be done. And this is, you know, the technology that we've built is grounded in like really robust market research and analytics. So, you know, we we launched an app and it had to be it had to be perfect. Like, you know, everybody that joined the app needed to be properly representative. You know, how we were gonna create norms based on this. Every question had to be like there was just so much going into the logistics of how do we actually analyze the data and make it so that we're providing the best and most you know, highest quality data that it just, we realized it was just not sustainable. It just wouldn't, wouldn't be something that we could actually do. So, you know, we had to leverage external partners. We had to make sure there was some things that we didn't have to control for. And so even though we had an app launched app was in the app store, which had to have a different name versus dig. So that's why we ended up calling it upside. Yeah, it just, you know, people downloaded it and it was a whole thing that we had to like manage for a while, but it just, the rigor wasn't there. And so eventually we said, you know, we need to, we need a better solution and we're going to scrap this whole app and, you know, and didn't have to worry about updates on people's phones and all that type of stuff. And we're just going to make it a web app instead. There's a, I believe it's a Russian proverb, no matter how far you've gone down the wrong path, turn around. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And I wish we had turned around a little bit quicker, but you know, at the same time, I think it, it allowed us to really kind of focus and prioritize things and then, you know, find other solutions to help fill in the gaps. Yeah, for sure. There's exactly right. And you always are able to take, I find that successful companies and people specifically are able to take learning from failure, right? So it isn't like money lost. My previous business partner, Jamie Plunkett, and Kristen Luck, we used to frame it as an expensive education. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly right. Yeah, that's exactly right. Highly, very, very expensive. So let's shift gears a little bit. 2021's behind us. It's been a crazy couple of years. 2022, we're stepping into it yeah. as an industry. Some of us strong, some of us weak, some businesses thriving, and some really struggling. It's in a lot of ways a tale of two, two cities. What do you see as some key trends that are going to carry us into the new year? Yeah. And I, and I think there's, you know, there's trends that are, you know, obviously directly related to insights, um, some that are maybe slightly outside of it. But I think right now, the, you know, from an economic perspective, definitely there's, you know, consumers becoming much more price sensitive as prices continue to increase. And that's a question that obviously our clients are going to ask us about you know, sensitivity for some of their products, but even though employment levels are almost at pre pandemic levels, it's uh, the prices for, for things are just drastically increasing. I think that's really going to impact consumer confidence. So that's going to definitely be some, a big question. I think as for our clients going into 2022, I think from a, even a, just a business perspective, it's interesting because there's going to be a much greater focus on automation. So partly driven, and again, this is related to insights, but also not, but partly driven by the need to, you know, react so quickly to, to get information and react so quickly to that information. But um, it's also becoming really hard and difficult to, to hire people. Like it's, it's very, very hard to find talent. And I even wrote an article about this, pre, uh, I mean, actually right at the beginning of the pandemic about companies increasing automation efforts to pandemic proof their business. And now automation is actually because we can't hire enough people to do the work. And so all these paths, you know, lead to that level of automation. I think 
And then that, you know, is interesting how it relates to insights because I think insights is going to be just, you know, just as busy as it was in, in 2021. And I think automation is going to be a big aspect of how we're going to handle that type of growth, both from client side, you know, who's actually digesting and getting that data, but also from the supplier side as well. Like, you know, our ability to actually turn around projects and data quicker is going to be much more important and be more efficient. I think there's going to be some really great opportunities for, for those in that space who uh, can definitely take advantage of that growing trend. What are you seeing with respect to sample? So SampleCon was in uh, Southern California this year, July. Seema Vasa, of course, on, uh, I believe she's the chair of the board of SampleCon. And in that sort of state of the industry event, we were, it was very clear to us that you know, we have a sample shortage. And, and it isn't that you know, it's, it's a shrinking sample, it's that the demand side has been increasing so much over the last few years. And you know, 2022 in the US is an election year, so that's gonna mean that you should see a bump of about 20% sample utilization. So again, you know, further increasing the overall demand, which puts a lot of pressure on the overall like ecosystem of panelists. And then you, to your point before, you do see this like interesting relationship of costs, like our CPIs, when you think about when you started the business 10 years ago, well, I mean, what was an average CPI for you 10 years or 12 years ago? God, yeah, I can't remember. But you know what? Interesting thing enough is, is that those CPIs, I'd say, haven't significantly increased. I'd actually say things have become a lot more efficient. And I think that, you know, different panel providers are, are using points in different ways that our our direct costs probably have become actually cheaper. Yeah, that, yeah that's exactly the years. point. It's like materially cheaper, right? I mean, we were paying, I was paying you know, six to eight dollars in 2010 uh, on a CPI basis, and then you know a fraction of that. Yeah, but it's counterintuitive. Like you would expect, you know, over the course of the years, you know, prices to increase. But yeah, with companies like uh, Lucid, Pure Spectrum, you know, anything that's doing programmatic sampling, those who are you know doing ads inside of apps to attract talent. Yeah, so there's there's definitely it's it has decreased. But yeah, to your point, you know, does that the supply dry up? And as a result of that, what's going to happen? The demand is there. The incentive isn't yet or has never really been properly. So, yeah, I think that incentive might actually increase. Uh, prices might increase. I mean, people, they're going to want to do surveys for something more than what they're getting now. Or at the same time, something that's very, very quick and simple and it's not really long complicated, kind of like what we've been trying to preach with our upside platform. So we know, you know, it's very easy and intuitive. So. There's elements of both, but yeah, it's it's going to be. A, you're you're absolutely right. Every partner we've spoken to, the demand is just crazy this year, and they're seeing those pressures on, and especially being able to deliver projects to us. For me, it's the scary thing, right? I, I'm seeing a lot of automation inside of the industry, and I, I think there's a lot of room even for improvement on that point. And and we've really black boxed the participant framework, right? In terms of to your point, multi-sourcing through the marketplaces, and now. I don't know what you're seeing, but we are, at least on the stuff that I've been doing, I've been seeing it surprising amount of bad participants. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> right. And so, and so I, I, my concern yeah. kind of marching forward, especially down the automation in the automation framework is like, you know, making sure that we're creating safety around the. For around sure. The yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, but I, I think 
longer term, you're, this is where you start looking at how can you leverage also other data resources, um, be, you know, passive data, behavioral data, transactional right. data, and start compiling these things. And so, and we're even doing, you know, amazing data modeling on our side that allows us to do, you know, hierarchical Bayes analysis on a much reduced sample size and be able to project things. So we don't have to, you know, go right. and get a thousand people. We can do it with a couple hundred. So, right. you know, we're trying to figure out ways to be more efficient, but you're absolutely right. There's, you know, you have to pay attention to the quality. It's, you know, I, luckily there are companies out there that that is also a solution that you can actually tap into. Right. But yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely scary, but this is where I think the industry is going to have to evolve much more beyond just primary data collection and, and really incorporate those other data sources. I think your approach, you know, that you mentioned regarding, you know, modeling small sample sizes so that they're representative of a population is exactly the a right a right way right a what right answer to the problem because that starts getting a little bit more realistic in terms of being able to compensate a smaller group of people because you know what we're what we're not going to see is brands say oh yeah it's fine you know three or five x more expensive on my sample nobody's gonna, nobody's gonna go for that right but but they'll pay the same assuming high quality right for some smaller sample as long as the business answers are accurate yeah definitely yeah that's you know I, again i think that's that's going to be an ongoing trend just into 2022 and beyond I, I just don't i don't see that you know i don't see that coming down again all right my last question what is your personal motto I think really it's an interesting question. I think I have two. I think we, you know, we referenced it before about, you know, every failure being a learning experience. I think I speak for all my, even my partners at Dig that we've been on this amazing journey full of ups and downs and, you know, you know, talk about, you know, launching a, an app and having to kind of redo that. Um, but every time we do kind of fall, we, we do get right back up and we learn from that failure. It sounds like, you know, you're very much similar that way. An expensive lesson. Yes. We have that ability, I think, so to do it quickly. And I think the fact that we've been able to learn and recover so quickly, it's really what helped has helped us uh, maintain our, our success and our innovativeness. And then the other one I, I think is important, especially in, I think, as we, you know, we're in this day and age of, you know, hiring people and building a great company culture and is really treating others the way you want to be treated. I think, you know, I get this from my mom, who was really a compassionate HR leader and and did show me that importance of empathy and understanding. I think, you know, as we look back at the struggles of having to, everybody working from home and having kids at home and then trying to manage a, a family life with kids at home while also working. And I, you know, I was going through the same, very much uh, similar things. And with all the you know, awareness around mental health and positive mental health, that level of empathy is required. And so making sure you're, you know, you can understand the other person, but treating them in a, in a very respectful and, and proper way, just as you want to be treated as, uh, yeah, to be as the, the, the other model, I think that I continue to live by. Our guest today has been Paul Gaudet, founder and CEO of Dig Insights. Paul, thank you so much for joining me on the Happy Market Research Podcast. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Everyone else, I hope you found some value in today's and entertainment in today's episode. If you did, please screenshot, share on social media, tag me, and I will send you a t-shirt. Have a great rest of your day.